So I want to encourage you all, if you're interested in this conversation and maybe even you're feeling a little hesitation, just at least check it out. Uh, I know that God does uh, miraculous work and joy-filled work as we pursue him in those difficult spaces that often seem the darkest and the most gnarly. All right, so today we're kicking off a new series in the Gospel of Mark. We're actually going to be in the Gospel of Mark for like a few months. Uh, We're going to be doing a deep dive look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And disciple, that word, is that a weird word? Yeah, it's kind of a weird word. Like we don't use that outside of like church land. Uh, but disciple, it's, the reason why it's, I think it's good to use uh, is because it has nuance to it that some of the other alternative words don't have. So like, you know how you can be like a student to a teacher, but not really have a relationship with your professor or teacher, and you don't really know what they're doing like in their normal life. They're just kind of lecturing and doing data transfer. Uh, so it's not, it's kind of like a student. Disciple is kind of like a student, but it's more. And, and you can also be like a follower uh, of like... Um, a person on Twitter, or you can follow a, a, a celebrity, you could follow a political leader, you could follow, but there's no real relationship, meaning like they don't know you back. You guys with me so far? Disciple has this idea of kind of like student and kind of like follower, but also like a, a deep level of relationship. So like in the time of the Gospel of Mark, the word disciple kind of inferred uh, that deeper level of relationship. Not only that you would be a learner or a follower, but also have a deeper relationship. Like I just want to say something out loud, maybe you've never thought of before. If, if you're a theologically thinking person, this might blow your mind. The disciples of Jesus knew when he pooped. Just let that, okay, everyone just let that happen to you, okay? What I just said the words out there, you're receiving them in, just receive that. That's a gift to you today, right? The disciples were so close to Jesus, right? He wasn't an entertainer, he wasn't a celebrity, he wasn't a performer. They were walking his path, and on occasion, he would have to leave that path to poop. And the disciples knew that. So disciple has this idea of closeness or proximity, deeper relationship than maybe just between a student and a professor or maybe a follower and a a leader or celebrity, okay? So we're going to look at, through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at what it means to live as a disciple. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you might say that you're a Christian or whatnot, Uh, this discipleship thing is so critical for us to understand. Also, for those of you that are still trying to figure out what you think about Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. And I just want to say that the space that you're at, a lot of the characters that we're going to read about in the Bible, even today, a lot of the people that we're going to read about, uh, they're in exactly your space. In fact, many of the disciples of Jesus who were walking the Jesus way, they were following after Jesus, they, they didn't know much at all about what it meant to follow Jesus. I mean, we, we, we'll go through the Gospel of Mark. We'll spend three years, not in the sermon series, just in the chronology of the book. In the chronology of the book, you'll have about three years of these disciples following Jesus. And all the time, they're like not understanding and not getting. So I just want to invite you in that, that the first step of following Jesus is just to start like looking at Jesus. And being like, what's this all about? That's the first discipleship step. So to put it another way, if all of our eyes are like towards Jesus, then we're all disciples in one phase of the process or the other trying to follow him. And it's critical for us to understand what it means to be a disciple. Because if we're a disciple of Jesus, then his voice, his teaching, his lifestyle, the truth of who he is and what he's done, it will radically shape us. Because we are a people who, like it or not, are shaped by the voices that we let speak. 
at least the voices that we, leak, that we listen to. All of us are making choices about who we will allow to speak to us. We have at our fingertips digital devices that we could let anyone's voice into our lives at any point in time. And we have this radical wealth of voices that can speak into our lives. And when those voices speak into our lives, whether we know it or not, are shaping us because we're shapeable people. Now, a lot of us, we like to think of ourselves like, I don't have any uncritical thoughts. I'm not influenced by my society. Oh. When I was in um, second grade, I was born in Phoenix. My dad worked for Snap-on Tools. Any fans? Snap-on Tools? Okay, good. Don't buy Sears products, right? Craftsman sucks. Just get Snap-on Tools. So he worked for Snap-on Tools. We transferred from uh, Phoenix to Dallas. So we go to Dallas. I'm in second grade. So I was in Dallas, Texas from second grade until seventh grade. That's a pretty like formative time in a, a young person's life, wouldn't you agree? And I was there when the Cowboys were good. And, 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 and that's why I'm still a Cowboys fan. Like you can't make me like the Cardinals more than the Cowboys because it's deep. It's deep within me, right? And, and if they end up playing the Cardinals next week, they're going to crush you guys. And I, I, I'm, but I'm with you. I'm your pastor. I feel this tension inside of me, but it's in me. God help us all. I was shaped, right? Like I went to the games. I saw them on the big screen. I saw Emmett. I saw Troy, right? Like I was there and it just did something to me. I wasn't consciously making myself be like, I'm deciding today to be a Dallas Cowboys fan. Like it just happened to me because we're shapeable people. Also, something else I noticed is we would come back from Dallas. We would drive from Dallas to Phoenix a lot and visit. And I would be with my Phoenician family. And they started really quickly noticing something, and they made fun of me about it. I started talking different. I said, howdy. And y'all. And I still, I'm 40 years old. I still, to this day, I've been, I moved, we moved back in seventh grade. because I've been here the rest of my life. To this day, I still say, y'all. Why? I'm not making a conscious decision. I'm going to be the type of person that says y'all. That's who I am today. No, it's, it's shaped within me. It's in me. It's deep inside of me. And where did that come from? Where did the how do y'all come from? No one sat me down and said, here's how you be a Texan. It was modeled for me in the community that I was in, and it was the voices that I was allowing to speak to me and to influence me that shaped me, and it shaped me into that to who I am today, for better or for worse, y'all. We have choices of the voices that we let inside of here and especially here. And I want to encourage you in this. Whose voices are you choosing to listen to? And what does listening to those voices produce in your life? What are the voices that you're listening to? And what is it producing in your life? Is it producing goodness, kindness, self-control, joy, peace, patience, love, understanding? Is it producing fear, rage, malice, slander, gossip, hate? What are the voices you're allowing in? And what are those voices producing? Being a disciple of Jesus, following the Jesus way, is to say, the first voice that I'm going to let influence me is, the Jesus, is Jesus' voice. I'm going to listen to him first. I'll listen to other people too, but I'm going to listen to him first. 
And if whatever's going on out here, spoken over here, doesn't like sync up with Jesus, I'm going to give order of priority to Jesus' voice as opposed to these voices over here. Not that I'm going to turn them off, but just I'm going to filter everything through that Jesus voice. So I want to invite you on this journey to listen to Jesus' voice as you follow his way as we study the Gospel of Mark. Now I want to give you a caution. Uh, there's going to be points in time where you don't like this, where you don't like listening to Jesus' voice. And I, I just want to say something, I want to tease something out here that, that's, that's like critical to any real deep relationship. So in your relationships, a deep friendship, maybe it's with a spouse or just any deep relationship is an invitation to be frustrated, disappointed, to feel anger, to feel sadness, to feel fear, to feel offended, to feel flummoxed. Um, have you ever met a married person? Some of you are married. And if you meet people who have a deep marriage relationship, like a deep love relationship, and maybe they're in their, like, you know, 50s, 60s, whatever. And, and you look upon their marriage, you say, oh, they're so, they're just so in love. Right? They're so, just what a great marriage. That did not exist without thousands upon thousands of moments of disappointment, anger, frustration, sadness, being offended, being flummoxed, being confused, wondering, having their will conflict with the other person's will. And the joy, the beauty that you see produced in those deep love relationships only comes through the fire of disappointment, anger, sadness, fear, offense, and so on. And so it is too with Jesus. There are going to be times where Jesus says something. And it's offensive to our sensibilities, or it makes us feel fear, or it makes us feel sad, or it makes us feel angry. And when that moment comes, not if, but when that moment comes, I want to encourage you to keep following him because there's a gift for you on the other side. There's a maturity. There's a shaping. That, have you guys, do you know what Play-Doh is? Okay, so I've got four kids. So I've eaten Play-Doh more times than I care to admit. It just, it's in the, it's in everything right? And sometimes it gets left out and it's crusty, but when you get like a fresh, you guys ever gotten a fresh thing of Play-Doh? Oh, and you pop it open and you, you smell it and you're just like, how do I get this thing out of here? And then you're digging around with your finger and finally you get that fresh Play-Doh out. And then what inevitably do you start doing with it? You start causing it offense. You start offending it. I mean, how would you like it if you got, you know, right? That's the shaping process. C.S. Lewis, who's an old-school theologian, he had in his mind this idea that if clay were animate and, and aware, that there's no way that the clay would appreciate what the sculptor is doing until it's done. That the clay would feel offended and betrayed and afraid and, oh my goodness, and all this shaping that's happened to me. And, oh. But at the end, there's a masterpiece there. We follow Jesus through these feelings, through these fears, through these concerns, through this feeling flummoxed, through feeling offended. We're going to follow him through that, recognizing that that is what it feels like to be shaped. Hmm? So I invite you in. Which, and, and so here's why I say all that. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a bunch of things that come up that we don't want to talk about. So sex and sexual assault comes up. Uh, politics is all over the place. Um, uh, betrayal, uh, deceit, uh, issues around uh, money and greed. And have you guys ever heard it said, um, you know, there's just certain things you don't talk about in polite company? Usually one of those things, 
sex, money, politics, power. And I just want to be very clear with you. We are not polite company. That's not what we're doing here, okay? We believe that Jesus is the king over the whole cosmos, which means there is not one square inch of our existence and being that he is not the king and Lord over, which means he's inviting us in to have these hard conversations as a Jesus-centered community. And as that happens, we're going to be shaped and reshaped, and we're often going to do that to each other, even sometimes unknowingly, because the Spirit is going to do something through this church family as we collectively follow Jesus, where we lean into these hard conversations and take the light of Christ into these dark spaces. And what we'll feel is we'll feel fear and we'll feel anxiety and we'll feel, we'll feel sometimes betrayed and we'll, we'll feel offended and we'll feel uh, like, our, like, like everything is just unstable because Jesus is going to be reshaping us more and more into his image. That's why I'm so glad that we're not a homogenous church of a bunch of sames. But we're a bunch of misfits because Jesus uses the pieces of us that don't fit together to shape us. What a gift we have. And what a gift to our community if we would lean into this and actually model for our community a Jesus-centric way of talking about all these difficult, impolite conversations. And by the way, it's in the text, so I would feel like I would be betraying the text if I didn't bring it up. So here we go. Um, Here's, oh, oh, yeah, this is great. Okay, so guess what? Do you know that the printing press was not around when Jesus was around? Yes, that mass-produced Bibles, which I'm so grateful for, were not in the hands of the majority of Christians until maybe the 1700s. Even today, there are many, a multitude of Christians who cannot read. And therefore, when they engage Scripture, just like the hundreds of years of Christian tradition that came before them, they didn't read it. Do you know what they did? They heard it. In fact, the literary design of the Gospel of Mark and my, my current understanding is all the books of the Bible is primarily designed to be heard, not read. Now, that's not a reason to not read it. I love reading the Bible. I think you should read the Bible. I think you should go home today and read the Bible 50 times and then argue about it for the next 100 years with a bunch of people who aren't like you. I think you should do that. But what we're going to do throughout this series is we're also going to connect ourselves to those who came before us and those around the world who, who can't read. And we're, just, we're also going to participate by hearing the word. And so I'll read it this week. And for, for this little first glance, we're going to read it here in a minute. I'm going to put it up on the screen and all that stuff. But I'm going to ask that you would just, you know, if it's helpful to close your eyes. For those of you that are online, I know you're looking at a screen and that's weird. And, um, but, but we'll figure it out, right? If you, you can close your eyes if you want to. And just, just hear the word. And then I'm going to ask you to, if you want to, like, supersize this process, right? I'm going to ask that you would be attentive to the spirit of the living God and what the Spirit is speaking to you through the Word even right now. Maybe there's a word that gets highlighted. Maybe, maybe a sentence or a phrase jumps out at you. And just, just be attentive to that. You don't have to overthink it. There's no like, right or wrong answers. Just be attentive because we serve a living God who speaks to us. So just be attentive to that as I read. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. And then we'll go back and we'll just notice some things. So here is the Word of God. <clears throat> the beginning. 
the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. Now John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and honey. And he proclaimed... One who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Immediately, the spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you to fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. I wish we had more time together, maybe even in a smaller setting, to hear if maybe the Spirit of God brought something up to you. And, and we are going to be doing a class. I'm going to be leading a, a, a deep dive Bible study in the Gospel of Mark on Tuesdays. I think we start in two or three weeks. Uh, we'll be here on campus. I'd love to have you join us if you uh, would like to do a deep dive study. We'll actually do some of that kind of back and forth. It'll be much more conversational than this. And if you want to sign up for that, you can go to our website, dsbc.church, or you can just fill out that connection card, next steps card, and uh, drop it in the metal box. We'll send you a link to that. Uh, but what I'd like to do now is just go through the text and let's just notice some things together. I'm not going to really do application. Uh, I'm going to actually encourage you to just not ask an application question just yet. One of my concerns uh, being in like the individualistic and consumeristic uh, society that we live in here in Phoenix is that that is oftentimes shaping us and shaping our approach to the Bible where we kind of go to the Bible really sometimes just defaulting like this. I'm the center of the universe, you fix my life. And then we open up the Bible and act like it's going to work that way. That's not how the Bible works. It's not a magic book. It's not a handbook for life that works like your car manual. It is something much more profound, and it's going to work on us and shape us in ways that we oftentimes don't see. 
And sometimes that might make us feel like we're not in control because we want to ask our questions and get our questions answered. And I just want to tell you this, and I'm going to tell you this as gently and as pastorally as I can. You are not in control. It's an illusion. If Jesus is the king, then you and I are not. And so rather than fretting about that or freaking out about that, let us be a people who follow the king wherever he might lead, knowing that it's good. All right, so let's go into the text. Um, Okay, so um, in the time of Mark, the time of Jesus, there was an empire that ruled over Jerusalem. Uh, which is where all this stuff in Mark takes place. From the, oh, Jerusalem and the surrounding uh, Galilean region in Judea. Okay, so uh, there's a ruling empire. They are the overlords. They are the conquerors. Does anyone know the name of that empire? It's four letters. It starts with R and it ends in Om. Rome, that's right. Okay, so the Roman Empire is, has conquered over the, the area that Jesus is doing his ministry and the area that, uh, that uh, Mark records in this text. And one of the most common things for people uh, to engage with was the spreading of news. I don't know if you know this. Not only was there not a printing press back then, there was also not fax machines. And so uh, what to spread news, bad news, good news, to spread news, you would have a, a good newser or a person who could who could proclaim the news, they would come into your town and they would say things. If it was good news, they would say things like this. Good news! And you know what people would do? A what? Right? They would listen. They would attune their ears to the good news. And usually that language of good news, right, what, what sometimes we refer to as gospel, that good news uh, was usually sent from the emperor or the throne room, so to speak, and it was usually good news about like a new king being born or a prince that was going to become king. So, so a good newser would come to your town and they would say, good news, the, the, the new king is born, and everyone would go, yay. Or if, you, if they were your uh, overlords, you would go, yay. There was also another means of good news, and that was mainly um, the conquering of a bad guy, or at least if you were Rome, what you considered to be a bad guy. So a good newser would come and say, good news! The enemy is dead, we can be at peace. And everyone would say, And so it was common for good newsers to come into a town and say good news, and they would say whatever comes from the throne room. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark models this introduction By leveraging that idea, you'll notice the text, the beginning of the what? The good news. It's the beginning of the good news. Now, this is a royal decree. This is is from the throne room, but you'll notice it's not the good news from Caesar. Who's it the good news of? Jesus, right? Do you see that already Mark has framed this in a political way? Meaning, this has radical implications to the power structures of whatever world you're living in. He's, he's giving kingly language, and I'm just going to keep pushing on this because I'm so convinced of it. Watch this. Okay. Oh, oh, man, I almost missed it. Thank you for reminding me. Notice the first two words. The beginning. Okay, so this is like cosmic. Like, this is kind of like hearkening back to something. Now, there's three other books in your Bible that start with The beginning. Uh, one of them is the Gospel of John, which is a counterpart to Mark. Uh, it's another gospel, just a couple books ahead. Another one is uh, Hosea. And the first place that does the beginning, in the beginning, is the first book of your Bible, Genesis. Genesis opens, right? It's got a better opening than Star Wars. It opens like this. In the beginning. And Mark here 
is intentionally, I think Mark's intentionally leveraging what his original hearers would have, they would have heard the beginning and been like, oh, Genesis and Hosea. And Mark here, I think what Mark's trying to do artistically is tether new creation to the creation story. Because he's going to tell us a story about the new creation that we find in Jesus. Okay, the gospel of or the good news of whom? Jesus, notice there's another word next to his name and it's not his last name. Like our naming conventions are crazy. Okay, so another way to, to, uh, to articulate this is Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. Christ and Messiah are just the same, they're the same word. Uh, Christ is just a, a translation of Messiah, which, which those are kind of weird to us too. It means anointed one, like chosen one of God. So Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one. And, and, and do you know who usually gets anointed in scripture? Kings. It's the promised anointed one. In fact, I think that he's riffing on uh, the line of David, that there would come from the line of David another king. Here in the first sentence of the Gospel of Mark, you have radical implications to government, to power, to who do you serve, to where is your allegiance, and Mark's done it in just a few words. Okay, let's keep going. As it is written, TV time out, did you guys ever see, remember uh, when Charlton Heston was Moses? Remember that? What was that movie called? It was like the um, eight or nine or um, ten. Ten Commandments. That's what it was. Okay, so in the movie Ten Commandments, anybody see that movie? They usually play it around a holiday. What is it Easter? Do they usually play it around Easter? At least they used to when people actually watched like not streaming stuff. Okay, so there's this old school movie called the Ten Commandments. It's about this dude named Moses. And I think the Pharaoh, was it Ewell Brenner was the Pharaoh? Am I, am I, bark- is, am I remembering this right? Okay, so thank you very much. Okay, so Ewell Brenner's affair. And there's this scene where uh, Ewell Brenner in his like Egyptian outfit, uh, he says the words, so let it be written, so let it be done. And you're just like eating the popcorn like this is powerful stuff, right? So let it be written or as it is written is a legal term that the ancients used to add strength. Notice what he says, as it is written. Now here's the deal. As it is written, and he's going to quote from what you and I would call the Old Testament. He's going to quote a prophet. As it is written in Isaiah, who's a prophet. How do you know that? It says it. It says it right there. Right there. Good. You guys are reading. Okay. See, so he's quoting from Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your, what's the thing? Wake. Remember, we're talking about following Jesus. Oh, you guys want to know some Bible nerd trivia? You guys know how you play Bible trivia at parties? Okay, I'm going to give you some extra ammunition. If anyone does that, please don't invite me to your parties. Okay, so um, do you know that the earliest uh, people who followed Jesus were not called Christians? In fact, we don't have any early evidence of anyone self-identifying as a Christian. They were actually called that as almost a derogatory word. What what the Jesus followers referred to themselves as uh, belonging to the way. Belonging to the, the way. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, a voice of one crying out in the, what's the word? Wilderness. Keep that in mind. Prepare the, the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Do you get this imagery? Like all over in Mark's gospel, you've got pathway type language, right? John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Let me ask you a question. Why do people go out into the wilderness? Now, have you guys ever been in the wilderness, like unprepared? 
like without like a, like I'm not talking about glamping I'm, and not like one of those massive backpacks. Like you're just out there like with a, with a camel skin jacket and a leather belt and a jar of honey and a bag full of locusts. You know, have anyone ever done that before? You guys know when you do that? Okay, so why do, why, just imagine back in Mark's day, to be in the city, to be in the town was safe. To be in the wilderness was what? Not safe. So why would anyone risk going to the wilderness? Well, one of the reasons is you're trying to avoid the legal authorities. You're trying to get outside of some of those constructs that society affords. Another reason is ain't no one in town want to hear your noise. So they say, get out of here, you. And they kind of run you out of town. Notice where John the baptizer is doing all of his proclaiming. He's in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness. Okay, wilderness is a dangerous place, man. Like, there's no stability. A bear could eat you, like legit, right? You could get bit by a snake, and when you try to call 911 back then, you realize phones don't exist yet, so you're kind of, you're done, right? Okay, so John is where? In the will, he's out there. He's, he's not procl- making proclamations about the king. Notice this. He's not making proclamations about the king from the palace or the temple. He's making proclamations about this king from where? Outside. He's an outsider. He's a prophetic voice. He's, he's not trying to maintain status quo. This king is going to come and upset status quo. At least that's what we're set up to believe here so far in Mark. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. What application does that have for you today, friends? You see, like the reason I'm making fun of that question is because when we just think, what does this verse mean for me right now in my life? Sometimes it doesn't work on us, right? Unless you feel compelled by the power of the Spirit to go and dress this way. I don't think that's the application, right? Honey's nice, but have you guys ever eaten a locust lately? The last couple of years, they've gone sour. I don't know how to tell you guys that. Okay, so, oh, 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 this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. Okay, he, why, why is Mark telling us this? Did you notice that he tried to tether his story with Genesis and with Isaiah the prophet? Did you guys catch that early on? Uh, you know who else dressed this way? Uh, another prophet named Ezekiel. No, excuse me, Elijah, Elijah. He, he, he's saturating the introduction of his good news about King Jesus with the Older Testament and all of their prophecies and all of their longings and all of their hopes. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than am I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. So now we're introduced to the king, right? Here comes the king. Now notice, where does Jesus come from? Okay, have you guys ever been to Buckeye? I'm sorry, this is going to be offensive. Let me ask, is anyone here from Buckeye? Great. Have you guys ever been to Buckeye? There's a reason you and I don't live there, right? There's nothing good comes from Buckeye. Why do people live there? I don't know, right? The way that we feel about, or if Buckeye's not doing it for you, Gila Bend? Any benders? Okay, no? Great, okay. What good could ever come from Gila Bend? Do you see it? The fact that this king, okay, so here's Mark, the good newser, saying here's the beginning of the good news and all this prophecy and all this connection to the Older Testament, and here comes the king. He's the anointed one. He's the royal line. And where does he come from? 
New York City? No. Washington, D.C.? No. Where does he come from? He comes from Gila Bend. Already, hold on, already, his proclaimer, the one who's making the way straight, is outside of the power dynamics and structures of society. And now you get a king who's an upside-down king. You're going to consistently see Jesus take power that we love, right? And he's going to flip it upside down. He's the king that comes from Gila Bend. So already we're like leaning in, like, what kind of a king is this? As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being opened. Now, I have in my mind, this is all conjecture, but I have in my mind that perhaps he has long hair and he like comes out of the water and like and flips it up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like Little Mermaid, like just like... Now, I don't know if that's the case. That's how I like to imagine it, okay? So he comes up immediately out of the water and his hair goes over and he sees the heavens being what? Torn open. Now, this is actually really interesting. Look at that violent language. This is power. Something powerful is happening. Torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. TV timeout. What's descending? Spirit of God. Now, this is interesting too because in the book of Genesis, it says that the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And now here, Jesus is in the water and the spirit of God is what? Hovering over the waters again. Only this time with a destination. It's interesting. So the spirit descends on him like a... Yeah, it's interesting that we have that as a symbol of peace. What kind of a king is this? It's not a Roman eagle that descends on him. Isn't that interesting? And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Let me ask you a question. In your understanding of how kings work, how does a person become a king? They can conquer their way to kingship, right? They can kill their enemies, right? There's another way to be king, and that's to be born a king. But if you're going to be born a king, what does your dad have to have been, usually? A king, right? And so if your dad's a king, you get to be a king, right? It kind of passes from father to son. And there's all sorts of kings. You know, I'm King Jim of Aragon or whatever. I'm King Caleb of Gila Bend, right? Well, you can be the king or whatever. And then you have a kid, you have a son, and the kingship passes on to them. Notice who uh, Jesus is getting, receiving. This. I'm going to just play with the metaphor here. Notice how, who Jesus is receiving the kingly line from. Who is it? Spoiler alert. It's God the Father, right? So like his kingship, his authority is unquestionable, right? It's not earthly authority. It's this is my beloved son. Now notice he also says, with who I'm what? Okay, with who I'm what, please. I want you to see something. What's descending? Okay, so God's speaking, right? God the Father speaking. The Spirit of God is descending like a... Notice what happens next. Shocker. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Does that mean that the Spirit is an Uber driver? No. What kind of driving are we talking about? We're talking about, yeah, chasing, like pushing out into where? Outside. Outside of all of the safety and systems of the city and the town. Out into the wilderness. Who wants to go out into the wilderness? Now notice, he goes out into the wilderness. Why? I'm going to just, I I told you I wasn't going to do application, which I'm not. I'm definitely not going to do application. Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to ask you a hypothetical question. Have you ever felt like you were in the wilderness 
And inevitably, the question is, God, where are you? God, are you with me? God, are you angry with me? God, are you even good? God, do you still love me? I just want you to notice what happened immediately before this. A voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in who I am well pleased. And then what happens next? The spirit of the living God, who, who, he is, his, who is beloved, right, drives him into the wilderness. So it may be that the wilderness is not just a place for people trying to avoid the law run to. Maybe it's not just a place where uh, people want to kick you out of town because they're tired of hearing what you're saying. It may be that the wilderness is also a place of testing and shaping where by God's good design, he might drive us into a wilderness. So if you're in a wilderness, again, I'm not doing application. If you might, a person might happen to be in the wilderness, we know that Jesus has been there as well. And it does not mean that God is displeased and that you are not beloved. It may be a season of shaping. He was in the wilderness. Again, wilderness. How long was he in the wilderness for? Oh, TV timeout, TV timeout, before you guys guess. Okay. In the book of Exodus, there's a group of people uh, known as uh, Israel, nation of Israel. Okay. And they were called, chosen by God to be a kingdom of priests. But they kept rebelling against God. And so one of the things that happened is they spent uh, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Okay? So they failed. Uh, guess how long Jesus was in the wilderness for being tested? You guys are so good. 40, right? So Mark here is saying what Adam and Eve failed to do in the garden, Jesus did in the wilderness. What Israel failed to do as they were being led to the promised land, Jesus does in the wilderness. He's the king who fixes the broken. And he's the faithful king who does what we cannot do. After John was arrested, notice this, that John gets arrested. We're actually going to get into this here in a few weeks. There's going to be a whole section of Mark dedicated to this. John was arrested because he spoke truth to power, and power didn't like it, so power had him arrested and executed. And this is giving you a foretaste of what's going to happen to Jesus. He was arrested. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the what? Here we're at it, and we're going to land the plane. Proclaiming the what? Right? Good newsers come into town saying, Good news! The good news of what? God. Okay, I'm going to land here. I want you guys to zoom in on me here. What is the good news? It's another word for gospel. But what is it? What is the good news that Jesus comes proclaiming? As American individualists, capitalistic consumerists, for those of us that are, I know not all of us are, for some of us, we can imagine the gospel to be a transaction in which I say a prayer and go to heaven when I die. And that is not, that's part, that's part of it. But that's not the good news that Jesus comes proclaiming. It's a, it's, a, it's a product, but it's not the good news. Watch. Here's, what's the good news that Jesus came proclaiming? The time is fulfilled. Do you remember that Mark keeps tethering us back to the Older Testament. 
we talked about Genesis, we talked about Hosea, we talked about Elijah, right? We talked about Isaiah. The what is fulfilled. All the stuff that they were talking to us about, that John the Baptist was kind of screaming about, is happening right now. The time is fulfilled. And the what? Say it to me. And the kingdom of God has what? Come near. Repent and believe the what? What's the good news? The king is here. That the king wins. The king establishes his kingdom. What is my response to the fact that the kingdom of God is here in Christ? I'm, I'm called to do two things. What is it? Repent and believe. And repent has a bunch of like, you know, like kind of religious nuance to it. Here's what repentance is. It's my whole being, my mind, my heart, my guts, all of me, and my behavior, and my thinking. Repentance is going this way, going my own way, sin, evil, going this way. Repentance is turning. Do you remember that Mark keeps using pathway language? That Jesus said, follow me? Repentance is, I'm following something else, my own self, usually. I'm following this way. And repentance is a change of my being, to turn, to change my being. I, I think this nuance is like, more like um, turn back to God, right? It's not contrition, although that's a part of the process. It's not feeling sad. Repentance is turning back to God. You guys ever heard of the parable of the prodigal son? Yeah, it's that moment of turning. And then belief, belief. Um, do you guys believe in aerodynamics? and like engineering and science and stuff. Have you guys, uh, do you guys believe in airplanes? Okay, and like that a person with a fancy hat in the front of the airplane gets you from A to B, and they're usually gonna get you there safely. Do you believe that? Okay, there's a belief that exists up here, and then there's the type of belief where you get on the plane, right? Have you guys ever had that experience, boarding a plane? Right, all the way up the, the, the what's the thing called, the little, you know, extendo thing. What's it called? Jetway. Okay? The whole way you're going down, you're like, I believe in planes. But until you step on the plane, you don't fully understand the weight of your belief. It, that language of believe, it also has a nuance of allegiance and trustworthiness. That I'm going to follow the Jesus way. I'm going to believe in the good news that he's the king and that the king has come. And that means I'm following him. And so church family... Here's where we're at. Jesus goes to these disciples. He passes the Sea of Galilee. We read this already. And Jesus says what to them? Follow me. The call to discipleship is the call to turn, to turn from sin, to turn from evil, to turn from our own way, to turn to Jesus, and to believe in such a way that we what? Board the plane. That we follow him. And so my encouragement to you is this, perhaps even just a question to meditate on. What would it mean in your life if you were to receive the good news that the kingdom is near, that Jesus is its king, and that he calls you to follow him? Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we give you thanks. We want to be a people who follow you, and we know that that's scary and frustrating and sometimes disappointing, and sometimes it offends our sensibilities, sometimes it's confusing, and yet we know you're good. And we know that you only have good things in store for us as we follow you, even though sometimes the way there is through the wilderness. And so as we embark on this study, Lord, would you give to us wisdom?
that by the power of your spirit, we would be a people who step by step, moment by moment, would follow you. And when we turn, that we would repent, that we would remind one another and encourage one another to good works, that we would remind one another of the good news, that we would reflect your goodness and grace to one another and to this community. Jesus, we love you. We know that you love us. You're powerful to bring these things about, and so we entrust ourselves to you. Amen. Amen.